Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawbible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Our scripture reading today, we have six passages and three men that will read for us. Genesis 3, 6 through 8. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of Yahweh God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh God among the trees of the garden. Genesis 12, 1-3. Now Yahweh said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. From Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring harm. So I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days they shall no longer say, The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. And from Luke 22, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. From Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death, shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, 
Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Let's pray. Father, it is a joy to gather as your people, to fellowship one with another. What we hold in common is Jesus. We thank you for the story that you have written and how it is a singular story, that it's all about you. Thank you for investing in us, for making each one of us, and we're part of this story, but the story is not about us, and we come week after week to be reminded it's all about you, and you're in all these details. And we long for the day when the the passage that we just finished with is here and now and final. We long for the day when all tears are wiped away, when pain and sorrow are no more and death has been dealt its final blow and we are safe in your arms. Lord Jesus, until that day, we continue to look to you, continue to refresh us with your word, even as Pastor Pat preaches. We are fully confident that your spirit will take the text and do a sure work in us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. You please be seated. There's a tendency for us in looking at the biblical text to hear the various passages that were read and not to see the connection that they are to that single story that we talk of on a regular basis. But we believe that there is but one story, one Savior, one seed, and one covenant. I don't know if you could appreciate, uh, it's almost impossible not to have a service with some child crying And I'm very, very thankful for that. But I don't know if you can appreciate the fact that when we talked about Adam and Eve sinning and God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, we had a baby crying and then the baby left. And by the time we got to Pastor Giles, there was no more mourning and no more crying. Uh, Obviously, we did not plan that. But in God's providence, he allows us to set these things up as such. But all the passages that we read this morning from Psalm 22 to those in Genesis... Chapters 3 and 12, and then Jeremiah 31, Luke 22, all the way to Revelation 21. They're all tied together because they all tell a single story. And at the center of that story is indeed Jesus Christ. What does this do for me, however, right now, today? How does this answer my horizontal question? How does this enable me to keep moving forward? Well, first of all, when we read the reading of the text, when we gather as the people of God, our problems in the horizontal are universal. Whether it is your job, your spouse, your child, your children, your choices, and or your health, we are indeed all together in our struggles. The gathering is a place where we acknowledge that many aspects of life are very difficult. We're here affirming that. We are actually designed, however, for something better than this. There's something within us that aches for the perfect. Secondly, Jesus is God's means of taking us back to garden joy. 
Jesus, the Jesus seed, is the means to which the Garden of Eden will one day bloom again. No matter what you are looking for, no matter what that is, it can only be found in Jesus. You might come here simply because it is what you do, but there is more to why you are here than simple routine or duty. This entire gathering, everything that we put in play, is designed to remind us of something more, something bigger, something glorious, majestic, and immeasurable. We are here to tell you that in the midst of your struggles, your anxiety, and your confusion, Jesus is enough in this life and in the life which is to come. Don't stop. Keep going. God is going to finish what he began, and you will find yourself with him. In light of all that I have just said, all that we have experienced corporately as a community, let us now consider our study. I'm going to walk us through, and I will again try to keep this simple, short, and relevant. But God designed us for joy. He designed us for joy. And I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm simply here to tell you the truth. God designed you for joy. But that joy is only known and experienced in his presence. And this initial encounter with him happened in the garden. Genesis chapter 3. We'll go back to that in just a moment. But when God walked in the garden in the cool of the day, it could have very well been a Christophany, a prior incarnation, appearance of Jesus. But when he walked in the garden in the cool of the day, it was to encounter or meet Adam and Eve for their joy. That's why he did this. And by the time we get to Revelation chapter 21, 1 through 8, it says that God will dwell among his people and it will be for their joy. So God designed us for joy. This joy is only known and experienced in his presence. This encounter with him happened in the garden. And that encounter with God is the blessing. Do we need him? Is he enough or do we need more? And we say that Jesus is not only enough in this life, but also in the life to come. Jesus is what we need. And that encounter with him is the blessing. And the Bible, what the Bible does for us through special revelation from Genesis to Revelation... What the Bible does for us is record God's work to bring us back into his presence for our joy and his glory. Now, everything I have just said can really be summarized with three words. Well, actually, one, Jesus. But where we're going in our study, it's land, seed, and blessing. You see this happen. It's it's articulated in this way in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, with what we call the Abrahamic covenant. But that's reflecting an idea much larger than the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12. It's going all the way back to the garden. And those three elements that we see and hear in Genesis 12 is actually found in the opening chapters of the book of Genesis. The land, that garden of Eden, is the place for the encounter to happen. God creates this whole thing so that he might dwell among us for our joy. The seed that is mentioned is the means and object in the encounter. Jesus is the one who brings about the possibility of us encountering him. That's the seed. And then the blessing is indeed the consequence of the encounter. I am wanting us to unpack all this as we unfold this morning's study. 
But when you look at the biblical narrative as it relates to a one story, one seed, one savior, one covenant, you have this idea. In the beginning, God created. He creates. And he makes promises. But we fail. And that's going to be the tagline of the storyline, the running plot through from Genesis to Revelation. We will fail. But God then promises, and I'll unpack that in just a moment. He says that the woman's seed will crush the serpent's head, but the serpent's seed will bruise or crush his heel. He then clothes them with the blood and the skin of an innocent animal in chapter 3, verse 21. He makes a promise and he binds himself by covenant. In Genesis chapter 12, he says, this is now what I am going to do. And then Jesus, as we will see, fulfills the covenant. He is the fulfiller of all those promises that God made. He is the one who causes us to go back into the presence for our joy. So what we will see repeatedly as we read the scripture is this one story, one savior, one seed, one covenant. And that's really where we want to look at and where we want to go in our study this morning. But what I thought would be helpful is to look at our Bibles. And it's something we try to do on a regular basis on Sunday mornings. But I'm going to have us just walk through the Bible. And hopefully in doing that, you'll begin to connect some dots. But we begin with this idea of promise in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. In Genesis chapter 1, and really all I'm going to do is read these passages And there are several passages that I'm going to read, but I'm hoping that in the reading of the text, you'll see how there is but one story, one Savior, one seed, and one covenant. In chapter 1 of the book of Genesis, verses 26 through 28, the Bible says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God made us for this. And what we see then in the book of Revelation is the fulfillment of this. And yet you and I failed. Adam was for us race representative. He represented us. He was there on our behalf, and he failed, and in his failure, failure, we fail. Notice then the text in Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. It was already read, but it says, So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eye, desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She gave and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This was their first attempt at self-justification, self-righteousness. And there was no possible way that what they were looking for could be found in the work of their own hand. It had to come from the work of another, and that's what we see, chapter 3, verse 21. Notice then, verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God among the trees of the garden. God designed them for joy. That joy is only known in his presence. They sinned against him. They sought to cover their shame and guilt with the works of their own hands. Impossible. God then 
does what he does. We see it in chapter 3, verse 15. Notice what it says. God is speaking to the serpent. I am going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. The seed of the woman will bruise or crush the head of the serpent. But he will bruise or crush the woman's seed heel. And then notice verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. That is where we find this language of a seed promise and a blood picture. The seed promise is found in chapter 3, verse 15, and the blood picture is found in chapter 3, verse 21. That picture is now going to be played out in multiple ways throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Hebrew Scripture. We then move forward, and we have these events recorded after chapters 1, 2, and 3. You have the fall, then you have Cain killing Abel. Eve believed that Cain was the promised seed, the one who would correct the garden, but it wasn't Cain. God brings another one, Seth. Seth is now moving that storyline forward. In chapter 5, you have genealogy. Chapter 6 through 9 is the flood. That's the assault of the serpent seed against that of the woman's. Chapter 10 is genealogy. Then chapter 11, you have the Tower of Babel. All of those stories in Genesis are assaults made by the serpent seed against that of the woman's. You then come to chapter 12. So you have these promises that are made in those opening chapters of Genesis. Then you come to the covenant in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And what I'm hoping happens as I highlight for you these aspects of the one story, one savior, one seed, one covenant, is that you begin making connections and you see the unification of the biblical text and how it is indeed telling us this one thing. We come then to the covenant made by God with Abraham in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here's what we see playing out in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Whatever God is doing in the individual or in the individuals is for the nation or nations. And here in chapter 12, 1 through 3, whatever he's doing in the individual, Abraham, he's doing for the nations because it is to Abraham and then through Abraham to the nations. We see that cycle repeating itself throughout the Old Testament text. So God takes that promise and he binds himself to the promise through the making of this covenant. We often summarize the, what we call Abrahamic covenant with the three words, land, seed, blessing. Now, there are multiple covenants, but I'm referring to it as the covenant because all the covenants in the Old Testament tie to the one covenant made with Abraham, which is based on the promise found in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. You have Adam, you have Noah, the Noahic covenant. You have the Abrahamic or the Abraham covenant, the Mosaic or the law given in Exodus chapter 19 and running all the way up to Jesus. Then you have the Davidic in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Then you have the new covenant in Jeremiah chapter 31. All those covenants are simply expressing aspects of the one covenant. That's what we see, that's what we hear. And what you then pick up on in the Old Testament is that you have this shadow 
that's going to find its fulfillment in the substance, which is Jesus. But what you have is this one covenant idea. You have all these other covenants, such as the Abrahamic, the Noahic, and I'm not putting them in order, but the Mosaic. You have the Davidic, then you have the New. The New Covenant is the culmination of this covenant that was established with Abraham, but promised in Genesis 1 and 2. So you should not see the promises or design of God in Genesis 1 and 2 as conflicting with the covenant then that's made with Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And when you read about all these covenants, whether it's the Noahic or the Davidic or the New or the Mosaic, you should somehow be seeing them as part of one thing, one covenant. God will, in this covenant, bring about Edenic joy. He's going to bring us back into his presence. But there is but one covenant because there's only one story, one Savior, and one seed. And what we see inside our storyline is this. In every scenario, God is binding himself to fulfill the promises that he made in Genesis 1 and 2. And why? Because you and I can't do it. But only God can, and Jesus did. Jesus Christ is the one who will guarantee, he guarantees that God is faithful to the promise and he will complete his design and desire for you and me. So all that stuff that's front-loaded in Genesis 1 and 2 and that we see played out in Revelation 21, 1 through 8 is because of Jesus Christ. He is the one who fulfills all the promises. He is God's guarantee that the promises will indeed be fulfilled. So this is what we have in these covenants. What then happens is that we have this language because did Abraham himself bring about the promise? No. Noah? No. Moses? No. David? No. None of them could bring about the promise. Israel? No. The promise would only be fulfilled in someone else. And that someone else we will see is Jesus Christ. But let us for a moment then consider the language of this new covenant that we read of in Jeremiah 31. I'm going to go all the way to Jeremiah now. So we've been in Genesis. We're jumping all the way to the major prophet. It's Isaiah, Jeremiah. So if you find Isaiah, which is a fat book, 66 chapters, the next book is Jeremiah, a large book. Jeremiah 31. And remember, God made promises to Adam and Eve, but it was to Adam and Eve and through Adam and Eve to the nations. God made promises to Abraham. And those promises to Abraham were to Abraham, through Abraham, to the nations. God has always been a global God, an inclusive God, a nation's God. So now we come to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah is a part of the fall of of the nation. He is a pre-exilic prophet, exile prophet. Listen to what he says in 27 through 34. In fact, I'm going to just jump down to verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So God is saying to the nation, why? Because the nation has failed. 
But in every covenant that has been made, humans fail. But God is faithful to his covenant. He is going to bring to pass what he has promised. And the fulfillment of every promise is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So here we are as a nation. We have sinned against God. We're going into captivity. And God says, you can't fulfill covenant stipulations, but I can. And Jesus will. That's the new covenant. So then we look at other passages like Jeremiah 32, verse 40. Jeremiah 32, verse 40. And I'm only citing these other references because it's, it's throughout Jeremiah. It's throughout Ezekiel. Uh, it's not as if I'm cherry-picking. This is the common language inside the biblical text. Verse 40 of chapter 32. I will make them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts and they, that they may not turn from me. This is the kind of language we find as God speaks of this everlasting covenant, this new covenant that he's going to cut. But we talk about the nation, Israel, but it's to Israel and through Israel to the nations. Jeremiah 33, verse 14. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So God says, I have made covenants. I have made a covenant based on the promise. And that covenant has expanded and been explored through various covenants, the Mosaic, the Davidic, and then the new in Jeremiah 31. And the new covenant is simply telling us that God is going to do what he has promised. But what are we to do with the language that is always found in the text concerning Israel and Judah? Well, I have mentioned several times in our current study that whatever God is doing in the individual, whether it's Adam and Eve or whether it's Judah and Israel, is always for the nations. Israel, like Adam, is functioning as race representative. The imagery of Scripture is always looking for the perfect human, the perfect priest, the perfect prophet, the perfect king, the perfect nation. Yet every single human, priest, prophet, king, and nation have this in common— they all fail. None of them can keep covenant. None of them can fulfill promise. And you and I are just like them. We can't. And what God can and Jesus will. Yet their failure and ours calls to us. It creates within us a yearning and longing for the one expected. Remember John in prison? Are you the one expected or should we seek someone else? And the disciples of John the Baptist were told, go and tell John what you both hear and see. Here is what God does. In all this yearning, he has given to us a promise. He makes a covenant with us. He gives it to Abraham and to Abraham and through Abraham to the nations, but he makes it with us. Adam and Eve and the nation of Israel are representing us and what God gives to them. He is working in them and through them to those around them. It isn't Adam or Israel. The covenants and promises aren't Adam or Israel-centric, but Christocentric. Whatever God is doing 
in the nation is for the nations. Israel is never the end. They are only means to a much larger, more glorious end. Anytime I teach through these books that speak of Israel, like Jeremiah or Ezekiel or even the prophets, I am confronted with is, is with the question, what about Israel? Well, my response is always, well, what about Israel? Their status or place in the scripture is one of tremendous honor, much like that of the Virgin Mary. But I do not make either one the center of the story. Are you with me right now? I don't, I'm not so much concerned that you agree with me, but are you tracking what I'm saying? To Israel were given the bulk of biblical revelation, and to Israel was given the seed promise. They were the womb that carried the seed, just as the Virgin Mary, so also the nation of Israel. Yet Israel, like all things created, are simply conduits. They are thoroughfares. They are not cul-de-sacs. The story doesn't stop with anything created. The story stops with God. And any time I, I talk about the nation of Israel, the question asked of me, am I pro-Jew? Well, I am pro-Jew. Uh, you might go, <sighs> But our minds, because of our theological formation and political saturation, jump to the opposite, which is, I am anti-everything else. Like, if I am pro-Jew, then I am anti-XYZ. I do not have the time to unpack everything about this. However, more than being pro-Jew, now listen carefully, more than being pro-Jew, I am pro-Jesus. These two things are not opposites, but my emphasis is not on the Jew, but on Jesus. And as it relates to the nations, I pray that the nations would be indeed saved and gathered. Amen? This is where the story is heading. I long for the day when every tongue, tribe, people, and nation shall in unison and with one voice cry, Worthy is the Lamb. God has made promises to Adam and through Adam to the nations. God has made promises to Israel and through Israel to the nations. And he has said, I will bring all these promises to pass in a new covenant. Now we come to Luke chapter 22. In Luke chapter 22. And watch this. And for me... My desire is that in seeing these things, it all of a sudden like, okay, I get it. Luke 22, listen to the language. Verses 19 and 20, we do this on a monthly basis. Luke 22, verse 19. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given to you, speaking of the cross event. All these types, all these shadows. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the what? New covenant. Every Jew in that room was going, Jeremiah 31. We've been waiting for the one who would fulfill the promise, who would cut the covenant, who would do all that God had said would be done. And Jesus now is saying, I'm it. I'm the one. All the promises and all the covenants are coming to pass in me. This thing that we celebrate in symbol is reminding us that Jesus is indeed enough in this life and in the life which is to come. And then you read Hebrews chapter 8. I'm going to turn there just so you can see it because the 
entire book of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus Christ is the culmination. He is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises, pictures, and prophecies. And time prohibits us from looking at everything that is in the book of Hebrews. Let me read 8, 6, and 7. Hebrews 8, 6, and 7. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. And Hebrews cites Jeremiah 31 often. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that covenant of those promises. It all comes together in him. And then finally, finally, we have read in Revelation 21, 1 through 8, what this is going to look like when it is fully enacted. But let us read a couple of passages in Revelation chapter 4. Revelation 4, listen to this, 9 through 11. Revelation 4, 9 through 11, whenever the living creatures Give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Chapter 5, Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll within written within on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven and, or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly. Think of everything we have just talked about this morning. Could you and I, could the nation fulfill the promises that God made in Genesis 1 and 2? Could you and I, could the nation fulfill the covenant that God made in Genesis 12 and with all those who followed in their train? No. Therefore we weep because we will remain as we are. But listen to the language. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was created on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the four 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Friends, you hear Daniel 7 you hear the fulfillment of the promises. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain 
to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is with them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is where it's heading. Here's where we are. Revelation 21, 1-8, God is going to bring us back to garden joy. He is going to, once more, bring us into His presence so that we can know and experience the joy that is found only in Him. We have that in Jesus. He is the one who fulfills promises. He is the one who keeps covenant. And he does that in our behalf. Just as Adam was a race representative and it was to him, through him, to the nations, but he failed. And just as David and all the priests and all the prophets and the nation as race representative, they were given these things, but they failed, but it was through them to the nations. Jesus is our race representative. But where they failed, he succeeds. And it's ours in Christ. Here is where we are. The point simply being this. Jesus is the guarantee that God is faithful to his promises and will complete his design, desire for you and me. Folks, when you and I read our Bibles, we must see that it is one story, one Savior, one seed, one covenant. We need to stop treating the Bible like an infomercial trying to sell us something. This is the greatest story ever told. We use the term epic. This is epic. We use the term all. This is awesome. You and I need to learn our Bible so we can learn the mind of God. It does have parts and they do fit together. We need to make the study of Scripture a personal and corporate quest. Read your Bible. Study your Bible. See and hear the parts and how they fit together. Let us use the Scripture as part of God's means of growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, let us understand that there is but one story, one Savior, one seed, and one covenant. And it's all about Jesus. This morning, you and I have opportunity to partake of the symbol and to remember the covenant, the visual. This is the illustration. Jesus Christ has done for us what we could have never done for ourselves. He fulfilled the covenant, and God is keeping the promise. Please stand with me as we close in prayer. I will invite you to come forward, take the element back to your seat, and we'll partake of it together as a family of families. Our Father God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have. We, we read Revelation 4 and 5, and we think, well, that's what heaven's going to be like. Friends, that, what, that is what your church is supposed to be like. We come here, and we see Jesus, and we worship him. As we partake of these elements, may we be reminded that Jesus is the fulfiller of the covenant. He is the new covenant, and he has done for us what we could have never done for ourselves. 
Thank you, Father, for this time. May we truly celebrate the finished work. In Jesus' name, amen.